This morning, I want to share a word that I believe the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart to just encourage you, to inspire you, to challenge you about your walk with God, about your faith. As a church, as a ministry, we are focusing on discipleship throughout this year. And one of the things I feel from the Lord is when I go to one of our churches to really emphasize this point. So today I want to talk on the call to evangelize out of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Matthew 20 verses 18 to 20. I'm going to emphasize the call to evangelize. And I want to provoke your holy hearts in the area of evangelism, stir you up to good works, stir you up in your faith in the Lord, that you grow stronger in Jesus as you commit or as you respond to this call that is on all our lives. Matthew 28 from verses 18 to 20. Is it possible to lower me a little bit? I'm not sure if it's the monitors, but it seems a bit loud. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's what the scripture reads. Now, this is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And the Great Commission really is recorded five times in different places in the, uh, in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts just before the Lord ascended. So in five different occasions, aspects of this commission are recorded. And here is kind of a, a summary of it. And in these verses, there are five key areas that are highlighted, and I want to focus specifically on two. The first area highlighted is the issue of authority, the issue of authority. The Lord says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. The second area is evangelism or outreach. Go therefore. Go therefore and teach all nations or make disciples of all nations. That's outreach evangelism. The third area is baptism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The call to baptize our converts, those that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. There is a command upon our lives that we are baptized. Baptism is not an option, it's a command. It's a command that the Lord Jesus expects for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And if a person, if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus and you have not been baptized through immersion after your conversion, I submit to you, either it is because of a sincere lack of knowledge of God's word or there is something wrong when it comes to your devotion to Jesus. Baptism speaks of the reality that you are in Christ and that you are part of a fellowship, a body of believers like here. The fourth area, he says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. The call to teach our new believers. The call to teach. Beloved, there is a call on your life to teach others what you have received from the Lord. And then last but not least, he says, Behold, I'm with you always, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Presence. His abiding presence that remains upon our lives to assure us that what we are doing, we're not doing it on our 
own. So the issue of authority, he says, the Lord says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Authority is the right to exercise power. That's what authority is. The right to exercise power. Authority means that you have been given a privilege to do something that up until that point you may not have had. When you have authority, it's a legal term. It means that whenever you operate within the sphere of that authority, you have the freedom to do what you like within that mandate. And as believers in Christ... We have the authority to go and make disciples. We have the authority to share the faith. We have the authority to baptize our new believers. We have the authority to teach people. But listen to me about this authority. The authority that we have been given is directly in relation to our mandate to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, the reason why this is important is is this. We don't have authority to do everything. The Lord has all authority, but he limited the authority we have within the context of spreading the gospel. As believers, we have authority over the power of the enemy as long as we are committed to spreading the gospel and making disciples. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, is a scripture we like to quote. He says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But the context of this particular statement is within verses 17 and 18, where the 70 returned with joy, saying to the Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he responded and said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The point there is, your authority over the enemy is when you are living your life in such a way that the kingdom of God is advancing through your life. When you're living your life as a believer whereby you are sharing the gospel, you are helping people to grow in Christ, you are committed to the expansion of the kingdom of God, that is when your authority over the enemy and all its words can be enforced. We don't have authority over everything that the enemy does. We don't. We don't. You can't just go into an area and start binding. I bind you, devil. Why are you binding? Our authority also is within the context of releasing the power of God. And again, what people don't realize is that, again, this is primarily within the context of as we share our faith and as we are helping people to become disciples in Christ. The reason why this is important, and some of you who've been in missions may testify this, who've done missions may testify, that when you're on the mission field, you seem to see more of the power of God. When you're doing ministry or you're on a mission field, you see more of the power of God, then you come back to, to your so-called normal environment, which I think is an abnormal environment, and then you don't see any power. Why? Because when you are on the mission field, you make it possible for the authority that is in you to be released in the context it has been ordained by God to be released. I challenge any one of you, if you've given your heart to Christ, 
to go in a context where you have to share the faith, where you have to pray for people, whether it's here or overseas. And you see the power of God. Why? Because as a believer in Christ, there is a mandate on your life to release the supernatural. Mark 16, verses 15 onwards, it says this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned or damned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. These are the signs that follow. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, these are five supernatural signs that follows those who believe. But then the next verse. He says, so then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Say they went out and preached everywhere. Say it. And then he says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What were the signs? It's the signs that he referred to earlier on. But look at it. It's as they went out everywhere and preached the gospel. What is preaching the gospel? Simply sharing the good news about what Jesus has done and about what Jesus can do for people and about why Jesus came and the privilege that they now have in Christ to live for him. Because of that, as they shared that good news, it's good. Listen, why is it good news? You see, if you don't understand why it's good news and you just say, I'm going to preach the good news to you, for most people, it's not good news. It's irrelevant news. You know, Jesus died for you. So? I don't care. A person, why would they care if you tell them some Jewish young man died for them? Who gives a rip? Why is that good news? Why is it good news for you to come and tell me that if you follow this man, it means you can't fornicate anymore. You can't, you know, you can't just chase after money and just please yourself. How can that be good news? It's not good. It's rubbish news. If you don't know why. If you don't know what the alternative is. And the alternative, the reason why it's good news is this. Every human being right now, if they die, they will forever be tormented outside of the presence of God. They will first go to a place called Hades, and in Hades, they'll be in a place, a little cell, it's not really little, but there'll be a cell, a pit, and they'll be tortured in remand. While they're in remand, in Hades, they'll be tortured and tortured and tortured by demons because there is, God is not there for them, so they're there and they will torture them. Then, until the last day. On the last day, they are resurrected with a corrupting body. They stand before the great white throne judgment seat of God, who now looks at the books and looks at their life and says to them, this is how you lived your life. What do you think you deserve? They say, I deserve that flame over there. And then he checks to see if their name is in the last book of life. And if he ain't there, sorry, you're going in that. And that's a lake of fire that Hades and the devil is afraid of. They're going to be thrown into that. And then anybody whose name is not in that book is also thrown into that. 
Now, let me tell you, have you ever been burnt by fire before? The fire of Hades is afraid of the lake of fire. Think about it. That's how horrible the place is. So, when people understand that they are lost, damned forever without God, and then you say, ah, but the good news is, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord of your life, you don't have to go to that place. There is an alternative for you. That's only when it becomes good news. Beloved, there is a mandate on our life for us to share the good news about why Jesus came, about what Jesus has done. I tell my children, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You yourself have to be born again. Once I was sharing communion with my, our family, we were sharing communion, and when we explained what communion represents, my daughter says, I can't take it. She's, the conviction says, I can't take it. I said, because, you know, you can't just eat the bread and drink the wine like it's some kind of juice that tastes nice. There's a good side. If you're living right, it helps. It does this. All these good things happen. But if, if, if your heart is not right, there's the bad things that happen. You can fall sick. Uh, you can become weak spiritually. You can fall sick. And you can actually die prematurely. Daniel said, yeah, I'll take it. She said, nah, I'm not, I'm not quite ready for that. <laughs> we need to impress on all and sundry the reality of what we have received. The scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What we have received is a tremendous privilege that if the Lord Jesus comes or if we die tonight we will forever be in the presence of God. What a privilege. All right, so, the authority. So we have been given the authority by Jesus to go and make disciples. I remember once a, a, a certain minister asked me, what gives you the right to start churches? I didn't like the question. At the time, I wasn't feeling very spiritual when they asked me that question. So I said, I don't know. Well, I did know, but I didn't want to say, well, I don't know. I feel like God, God tells me to do it. But then I thought, so what gives you the right? And he said, oh, ecclesiastical authority. And I just got up my nose. I said, no, that's not what gives you the right. The only reason why your church exists is because a guy didn't want to get married. He wanted to divorce his wife. A guy wanted to divorce his wife. Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife. And the Roman church won't let him, so he, he started his own church and divorced his wife. So I've got more authority. What are you on about? I've got more authority than you, mate. If you, if you want to talk about authority, I'm doing it because the Bible says. That was a bad answer. Don't go and repeat that. I, I shouldn't have said that. I was just feeling really a bit touchy at that time. Martin was with me for, oh, no. Because Martin was introducing me to this minister before we could work together. And the guy started interrogating me, and I just thought, you know what? I'm not having it. I'm not having it. He said, what gives you the right? I said, I don't know. What gives you the right? He said, he should have said, you know, hmm, it's a good question, Joe. When he started the ecclesiastical authority, I said, no, it's Henry VIII. That's why I said, I said, Henry VIII. It's a big, big bishop, you know. Henry VIII, that's what gave you the right. Don't give me rubbish. But thank God, it's, we're not talking about Henry VIII. <laughs> what gives us the right is the authority of Scripture. The mandate to go and make disciples. Everyone 
has this mandate. Do you know something? In your school right now, there are people that are waiting for you to show them how to be saved. But if you're too busy, excuse me to, to, to put it like this, I've got to use a term that's not swearing. Um, what's the term for, um, oh, it's, uh, it's just the same, the word keeps coming in my head. I, I think I might need a bit of deliverance ministry. Um, <laughs> I think I have to say this. So don't, I'm not trying to swear. But if you're too busy bitching with other girls, right? That's, I think that someone needs to hear this. If, if you're too busy doing that, that word I just said, how on earth are they going to know Jesus? Meanwhile, some of them, you might be the only way they come to know Christ. Some of us are more interested in what people will think of our church than the souls of people being saved. I tell people, bring them, bring them. I said, what, to this furniture? Yes, let them come. When they come and they hear the word of God, God has a way of saving them. After all, you came, didn't you? Yeah. Soul winning is an essential part of your life as a believer in Christ. Matthew chapter four, verses 18 and 19. The Lord said this. He says, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So winning is the main priority on God's heart. And the essential requirement for anybody who is serious about following Jesus. How many of you are serious about following Jesus? How many of you really want to follow Jesus? You know, when you were singing the song, I said, thank you, Lord, you've confirmed my message. What a powerful song. What a powerful um, motto or mandate that we have in Life Center to make a difference. What kind of difference do you think God wants us to make? God wants us to make a difference with the gospel of the kingdom so that people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and through that revelation, their whole life is changed forever. Soul winning was the main thing in the New Testament church. So much so that in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, when he says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, the implication is this. It was a common saying amongst the New Testament. It was something that they said all the time. Like in Life Center, we say, making a difference, making a difference. For them, it was Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. What are you doing about it? Christ Jesus came to save sinners. How, you got, how, how was your week? Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Let's pray. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Lord, as I bless this food. It was a common saying. Today, our common saying is more like, I am the head and not the tail. I am blessed and not cursed. I am this. I am that. I am this. Me, 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 me. That's our common sayings in church. Has to do with how much more money can I get? How much more happy can I become? How much more comfortable can my life be? That is now the common thing of Christians. I'm going to that prayer meeting because maybe I'll get a breakthrough. Maybe I'll get a 
prophecy that will give me a breakthrough, that will make me more happy, that will bring more money, that will do this for me and me and me and me. Are you still here? It's a crap, excuse me to say, is that a swear word? Rubbish perspective. It's so rubbish. You have no idea how awful that kind of gospel is. Because it's no gospel at all. It's a curse. It's so rubbish. We go to church because we want God to bless us. I'm not saying we should go to church because we want God to curse us. I'm not saying that. But the concept is warped. Not we're coming to worship him. We're coming together to hear from him so that he can speak to us about what my Lord requires of his servant. Our whole attitude is about how I can get my next breakthrough. You know, there's a prophet coming. I bet you, if you had prophets, if I was a prophet, a proper, you know, the, well, let me put it like this. The kind of prophet that really is nice and really dramatic, this place will be full. But unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a, a preacher of... I'm known as a heavy preacher. Is it Joe who's coming to me? Oh, dear, he's going to... What's he going to talk about? He's going to hit us again. When is he coming? Oh, I'm traveling that week. (laughs) The Lord himself emphasized at different times the priority he placed on soul winning. Luke 5.32 I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Matthew, sorry, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When was the last time we sought that which was lost? In all our priorities and how we live in our lives, when, how do we prioritize the lost? By the grace of God, As a younger Christian, I used to say to the Lord, it is not possible for me to die and go to heaven. And the father and the mother through whose loins I was born dies and goes to hell. At that time, my mom was convinced she was a Christian. And my dad was convinced he was a Christian. And I knew the scriptures and I knew they were going to hell if they died. And I used to say, how can the woman, how can the the, the, the woman whose womb I came out of, I'm going to heaven, and my siblings are going to hell. At the time, my sister was very religious, but she wasn't born again. My brothers, they, well, they weren't really, they weren't, no, they weren't at all religious. They didn't care. And they weren't born again. And we kept praying, praying. I kept praying, Lord, save them, save them, save them, save them, save them, save them. Whatever opportunity... I put an embargo on their lives that they cannot die until they're saved. So I didn't expect to hear any news they were going to die. Why am I saying this? We become too comfortable with family members who are not saved. We are not worried. When people are not saved and they are dying and they're in pain, we pray that they will die and so that their pain will stop. Who told you? It is better for them to be rotting whilst they're on earth than to die and go to hell. The worst hell on earth is the most pleasurable heaven in hell. You have no idea what that 
pit in Hades is like, yet alone the lake of fire. Beloved, I want to provoke you to soul winning. I want to provoke you to evangelize. I want to provoke you to become uncomfortable with the fact that your family members are not saved, with the fact that your friends are not saved, with the fact that the place that you work, there are people who are dying and going to hell. I want you to be uncomfortable with the fact that people are not getting saved in this church on a regular basis. We have to become uncomfortable. Can you say amen? Or ouch, whichever one suits you. So winning is the reason why the Bible was given to us. It's the reason why we have these scriptures. It's the reason why we start churches. It's the reason why churches exist. Soul winning is the reason why we are supposed to do all our wonderful programs. It's the reason why we should have something like street pastors, why we have hidden man, why we have all the music. That should be the reason. These things should be tools and catalysts for us to be able to see the lost saved. They can never be an end in themselves. Today, you find that when it comes to uh, excuse me to say, Christian dinners. We put all kinds of energy in Christian dinners where we can meet someone and we dress up and we pay big money to go and eat some food that we could even cook better in our house. Let's just Jan cook and you, you see what, what, what's good for you. And then we hear nice music. That nobody gets saved. Nobody is, there's no sense of, we use this thing to bring the lost in. And we had a good time. Did you, you know, when that, that, that comedy was really nice, and that, it's just, no, no, if I want that, I'll just put my telly on and watch a professional. Yeah, what? I pay my TV license, it's free. I eat my wife's cooking and I'm happy. If I wanted entertainment, I don't need to go to church to be entertained. It's not what we're about. Sorry, it's not what we're about. We're not struggling and fasting and praying and seeking God and trying to live holy so that we can get entertained. What rubbish. It's useless. What's the point of that? Why would I bother coming to this place just so that I can make friends. I don't need to come here to make friends. There are clubs. When I first got saved, the idea of coming to church so that, uh, excuse me, I can feel loved by the people. Seriously? I'm not interested in any of you loving me when I was a new convert. So I, didn't even want, I didn't even want to talk to people. I just came, I wanted to hear. I felt I had to come to church because the Bible said, not forsaking the assembly of yourself together. So we have to turn up according to the Bible. And now I'm here, now you want to talk to me about what, 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 what? I don't, I don't need any friends. I've got my friends. Preach your message. Let me hear. <laughs> Take my notes. That was my mindset. I never got followed up. Maybe you did. I never got followed up. Did you get a lot of follow-up? I never got people inviting me and showing me love and kindness and, oh, there's so much love in this church. The idea that I'm coming to church in order to be loved, for me, was an irrelevant issue. The Lord spoke to me before I went to church. He said, Joe, as you go into this church, remember that people are people. And what he was saying to me is this. The same human beings that treated you rubbish, you're going to meet them in church, they're going to treat you the same way. Don't worry about it. And they did. That's the truth. 
but because we wanted to possess our souls. Now, thank God you have a church like this where there's a lot of love, a lot of niceness. It's very wonderful. Imagine if unsaved people come to your environment. You know what the other day one, one man of God said to me? He said to me, Joe, if people knew what your church and ministry was like, they would run to it. He was talking about the indigenous British people. They would run to him. The fact is, he was saying, people have a stereotype. But they will find out when we begin to share, when we begin to pray and fast and see God and do things so that people can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Beloved, God desires that all men be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone saved. That's his heart. I have seen all kinds turn to Christ. I've seen people who have cursed me turn to Christ. I've seen people who say, I will never believe, turn to Christ. My dad said to me, Joe, I'm too old to be born again. He came shaking. Joe, what must I do to be saved? Those were his words. As if it was the Bible. He said, Joe, Joe, what must I do to be saved? As we prayed and as we believed God, the Spirit of God convicted him. And as we shared the gospel in different ways, convicted him. Let me tell you something. God is waiting for us to make a difference in the lives of people with this gospel of the kingdom. But we need to understand one thing. There is a role of prayer when it comes to evangelism. Why? Because evangelism is more than just exchanging information, ideas, and philosophies. It is warfare. It requires that God himself intervenes through the prayers of the saints. Evangelism is we sharing the gospel, but our prayers fuels the evangelism. Our prayers can impact society in such a way that it brings change and makes it easy for the gospel to advance. I believe that a lot of times, a lot of our prayer meetings, I'm not talking so much about Life Center, I'm just talking generally, a lot of our prayer meetings are very self-serving. Pray that we'll have more jobs in the church, more money, church people get married in the church. Pray that, uh, what are the other things we kind of pray about? Come on. We, the, well, you don't want to say it now. <laughs> that we'll be delivered from the headache. Pray. Seriously, there's some things you don't need to be praying long about. Most things. That has to do with your personal need. You don't have to fast 21 days for. Oh, imagine if you fasted 21 days for a soul to be saved. If we tell you, take this oil every morning at 5 a.m. sharp, anoint your head like that, cross like that, and do it for 21 days and then just preach in tongues for 10 minutes and you will get the breakthrough into the next promotion of your job. Ha! Come and see people. Alarm clock. <laughs> Get the oil. They'll wake up 4.40 a.m. to brush the teeth and then 5. Sit there. Got the shadabalaba. 
Jesus, thank you for the breakthrough. They will do it for 21 days. Tell them, do that for 21 days and your uncle will be saved. Uh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh. yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, amen, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, what time did you say? But why does it have to be five? I should be able to do it at work anytime. After all, God's everywhere. Hmm. Pray for the souls of the lost until God answers. Let me tell you, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door shall be opened. Beloved, that was the main scripture I stood on for my family. I would say to God, you said, ask and you shall receive. I'm asking for my dad to be saved. I'm asking for my mom to be saved. I'm asking for my brothers to be saved, my sisters to be saved. In fact, my sister... Because the other two, we got them easy. They were easy to get. I remember my brother-in-law, my, my sister's um, um, first husband, I remember him coming to me once and I'd been praying for them and he said to me, Joe, pray for us that we need some kind of breakthrough with the authorities. And I said, uh, no, I'm not praying for that. He just looked at me I said, I'll pray for you to be saved. I'm not praying for that. He left thinking, what kind of crazy brother does she have? What kind of Christian is that? When he got saved, he remembered. He remembered and it impacted. Because that's exactly what I pray for. Why am I praying for that thing? You can get that breakthrough and still go to hell. But if he's saved, all the other breakthroughs can come. Yeah. I was very clear. I'm not praying for that. I didn't have to say that because I said, okay. I felt to tell him, no, I won't pray for that. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to pray. Yeah, I will pray. I'm not praying for that. I will pray for you to be saved. Somebody said, that's even going to make him more staunch. Yeah. They will have meetings. My sister will tell you. And they won't call me. I wasn't even part of the family anymore. They were doing me a favor because that would do my head in. Pray until God answers. God answers prayers consistent with his will. And prayed in faith. Oftentimes, Many of our praying are cosmetic. They have to do with how we can improve our lives. I mean, seriously. It's really a bad thing, you know, that we've done, Pastor John. Some of the things we've done as pastors and preachers in sincerity is a bit warped. Because what it does is it gets people off the wrong focus. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. In fact, literally in the Greek, they will chase you. Do you honestly think that God is not interested in your needs? He's more interested in your needs than you are. But God will never allow your legitimate needs to corrupt your life. He will never allow it to corrupt your soul. Do you honestly believe God wants, doesn't want you to have a breakthrough in your job or your family or your health or your marriage? Of course he does. You want to see people get married? Get people saved. Trust me, as you are busy reaching out to the lost, he himself will declare, it is not good that so-and-so is alone. Let's give them someone suitable to them because they are busy doing my work. We need to labor in birth for the souls of the lost. In Galatians 4.19, Paul said this to the Galatians, my little children... 
for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You see, he had labored the first time for the Galatians for Christ to be formed through the new birth, for them to be born into the kingdom. But now he needed to labor again for Christ to be formed into them as believers. What am I saying? There is a realm of prayer and intercession when it comes to the loss of travailing, of praying as if you are giving birth to something until you give birth. Paul desired this for the Galatians. The scripture says, when Zion travailed, the King James Version, she brought forth her children. Isaiah 66 verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth to her children. As soon as life center travailed, she gave birth to her children. As she travailed, when you're doing your 24-hour praying, I tell you, you need to put it down. 1,000 souls to be born into the kingdom through this ministry. You need to put a Lord, let us see 1,000 souls born into the kingdom. Where we have to, for the sake of these souls, we have to change everything we're doing. I asked the leaders in Greenwich a question last year. I said to them, the way we're doing church, if God gave us 15 new people, we won't be able to handle it. We have to change the whole thing. Because how we're doing it cannot handle 15 new people. Look at how busy we all seem to be. Let me tell you something. Soul winning is messy. It's awkward. It's awkward. The Lord said to me prophetically, he said, I must tell many of the leaders that we've trained over the years. He said this, your leaders, you need to tell your leaders that they need to reprioritize your life. I'm paraphrasing it. Basically, what he said was this. Many of your leaders that you have trained have put their families ahead of me and my house. And they have prioritized their families, which is a good thing. But by doing that, they have neglected my house. And he said this, tell your leaders that until they prioritize my house first, they will never see what they want to see. And I tell you, there is no greater priority when it comes to God's house than souls being saved and discipled in Christ. There is no greater priority. I'm not talking about church programs in themselves. I'm talking about being busy, building God's house through seeing people saved. Because God's house is people. You don't have to be a powerful apostolic evangelist like Pastor Les to do it. You guys are blessed you have an apostle and an evangelist in this church. I know he's a very busy man, but you should let him lay hands on you. Lay hands on you and impart that spirit of evangelism. And then when he has laid hands on you, don't sit on your bum and wait for something to kick you. Start going out. You see, only the pastor said amen. I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. Oh, can you hurry up? This is too much. Say to your neighbor, I'm loving this. So when in a spiritual warfare, the enemy is not going to give up the souls of men without a fight. He's not going to give up your family without a fight. He's not going to give up your friends without a fight. He's not going to give up a school. You know, Pastor Steve Mante's son, Paul, 
Pastor Steve, I remember he saying to me, and he's worried about his son Paul. He began to fast and pray him and shallow. Praying and fasting and praying and fasting and believing God for Paul. The power of God hit Paul. Paul got born again. When Paul got born again, but before then he was a ragamuffin. But after he got born again, this is what happened to Paul. He began to evangelize, win the loss in Ennis Bevin. How many of you know Ennis Bevin? Yeah. Started a Christian fellowship in Ennis Bevin. But also, let me tell you what happened in his A-levels. From that point, he changed. He did well in his GCSEs. As he's been reaching out, he also did well in his A-levels. He got an A and a C and another grade. And that was a disappointment for him. You see, we've got it all wrong. We've got it all wrong. When it's time for the um, studying, um, we should let our children study. But when it's time to worship God, we shouldn't tell our children, stay at home and study. What kind of rubbish? What rubbish is that? What are we doing to our children? You're teaching them that their studies is more important than their worship. You have how many times to study? You can't take four hours, come to church for two hours and go back. Nonsense. Are you still here? Am I coming back? I wish I had time. I'll talk to you about the sin of not winning souls. Maybe another time. In conclusion, the enemy will not give up souls without a fight. We need to change everything about our lives, how we're ordering our lives. Even if you spend five minutes a day, in fact, that's about it. I wasn't even doing that. I spent like two, three minutes in my prayer time praying for the lost, and I saw breakthroughs. I remember I started a cell many years ago, me and my cell assistant, and he was, when we started, he was one of the most lamest cell assistants. I used to do the refreshments, and I said, do the refreshments today, bro. And he will bring like a biscuit. I said, what's the refreshment? He said, this is the refreshment. I said, is that the refreshments you ate last week? You bring this biscuit. And a, a biscuit may be a bag of crisp. So I looked at the assistant I had, and I said, okay, you know what? Here's how we're going to do it. I looked at his level of prayer, everything. I said, all I want from you is every week, you pray, every week, two minutes for this cell. That's all I want. Every week, two minutes, pray for this cell. That's all I need from you. He did it. Within six months, our cell grew from me and him to about 16 strong. Our cell kept winning, you remember, winning cell of the month, cell of the month. Because I recognize the power in agreement. It's better you agree with someone for two minutes than try and get people on board for 10 hours. We saw people getting saved. And I didn't use even the outreach. We just pray, believe God. We saw people getting saved, coming to the cell. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When you come to a place of agreement and you start believing God for souls to be saved through your hand, you'll see it. You need to change your strategy. You're such a gifted woman. You're such a gifted, anointed psalmist. You need to change your strategy whereby everything you're about is about winning souls. Your whole platform is about winning souls, about discipling people. All of you, they, I mean, I was listening to your, your band and I'm thinking, wow, you know what? I think Greenwich. I said, I think Greenwich is a good place. I, 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 the scripture says, do not envy. Teach is not to envy. 
But I just thought, you know what? You guys should do things. I know you've done it before, but you should keep doing things with the band and your, to get the lost. I mean, you've got such a venue. You can do it, use it all day, innit? Is it? Is that, is that, yeah, man. Believe for multiple services. If you have three multiple services, you have over a thousand. And you can have fellowship. God has blessed us. All right, well, in conclusion, we conclude. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The enemy has people bound. Will you respond to the call to evangelize? Let's pray.